you suffer from chronic CFED or can't focus energy drain? Try over-the-counter Vibrin. One tablet contains the same caffeine as a cup of coffee, but without the calories or coffee breath. Vibrin, caffeine, not coffee. Taking Vibrin may result in a lack of drowsiness, improved productivity, and better cash flow from decreased coffee spending. Unexpected job promotions have been associated with Vibrin. Vibrin may decrease the urge to zone out, doze off, or exhibit signs of slacking. All jokes aside, always read the label, take only as directed, and limit caffeine as it may cause real side effects. Not for children under age 12. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Seasons of the Witch with Raven and Stephanie Blamassi. Uh It's so nice to be back on the air again. You know, we said that the last time, but it really is giving us a sense of, um, you know, renewal to be able to boot up our program again uh, after some hiatus that we took. So thank you for joining us this evening. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, counter magic and the ethics of the magical arts and witchcraft. And um, that will entail talking about what magic is and what is counter magic, what is the threefold law, and other questions that we have that will be around these topics. And um, just again, just for our audience to know that um, if we haven't said this you know, enough times for you, that Raven and I are old world rooted witches in the old ways. And so our little view of this multifaceted crystal, we are so uh, happy to bring that to you tonight. And for you to know that, of course, as I just said, it is just one facet of many. And um, I think you'll find it very interesting. So as, as time has marched on, and uh, Raven and I have um, gotten settled in our new little um, house that the uh, insurance company has, has provided for us during the duration of the restoration of our home. Uh, we're getting settled in, and uh, I don't know, it's, it's still kind of freaky, you know? Yeah, it's weird to be living <laughs> in someone else's house. Yeah. So. Especially like when you're, when you're just forced to do it in, in a flash of an eye, or in a flash... Right. Of lightning. Oh, no. Flash of lightning. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, you know, that, that, that can happen to mm-hmm. anyone at any time. <clears throat> so um, the progress on the house is coming along. It's going to be lengthy. But um, I've, you know, I've kind of rebooted my program with a renewal of thinking about the idea that um, this is a home that we purchased and it's now being remodeled versus you know, some kind of devastation that um, happened. Um, you always have to take things and turn them around so that you're able to work, you know, work on 
how you want to move forward and to put out there into the universe because it's always listening uh, what you truly want to attract to yourself. So Yeah, and you, you have a choice on how to react to something. I mean, a lot of people have a, a you know an initial emotional reaction, but ultimately you can decide and define your own you know situation. So we tend to look at um, what was originally tragedy and devastation. Uh, we look at now as the opportunities that unfold to um, make this even better than it was before. So again, you know, you can take one particular act. But how you decide to relate to it, to envision it, and react to it, ultimately, we all have that choice. Absolutely. So the healthy choice is the best. <laughs> of course, that's all you know, defined by different perspectives and perceptions. But uh, Raven and I always like to make lemonade out of uh, lemons, and uh, we do we do so with uh, passion and uh, love and um, the best will of intent. So I've been over at the house also um, because since the fire was really contained and the damage from the water is contained in, in the interior of the house, the exterior of the house really did not suffer um, a lot of damage other than the initial um, stuff that was thrown out by the fire department. But that really didn't hit the garden. It hit the bulkhead and it hit um, the windows that they threw it out of were not over, over my herb garden. So I've been over there harvesting my rue. I harvested thyme. I'm going to harvest some hyssop. Um, uh, trying to think of what, else, what other things have been. I was over there pruning back all my um, iris and my daylilies and cleaning up the flower beds and, you know, taking care of and keeping a connection to the land there. Um, I, don't, I don't want it to feel abandoned. Um, and so I'm still putting my energies into that as well as, you know, weekend ordering um, pretty much our whole life since uh, this little incident happened. So anyway, onward from that to the good stuff, even better stuff. And um, that is our upcoming events that we have. Um, you know, as we said last time on the show that fall really is the time of the witch, the season of the witch. And um, so I'd like to tell you a little bit about some of our events that will be happening in September. And uh, the first one coming up, we are so happy to have been invited to Colorado, um, to Colorado Springs in particular, by some old friends of ours who were out in Iowa but moved to Colorado a couple of years ago now to be with family. And they have gotten... Um, uh, involved, it's the Denims, and they have gotten uh, involved in the community there, and they are the directors of the Pagan Pride, or one of many directors, organizers of Pagan Pride there in Colorado Springs, and so they have um, generously um, set up um, an uh, extra event for us there, um, as well as doing Pagan Pride, and the date for that is we're going to be uh, in Denver on Friday the 15th and we'll be at Herbs and Arts doing a workshop on the Greenwood Magic, I believe. I think it's the Cord, the cord Workshop. So we will be, again, be um, talking about um, spirit, plant spirits, working with the Greenwood. Uh, we'll be making, helping people, um, guiding them to making a shamanic cord for the Greenwood Connection. Mm -hmm. 
And um, then on Sunday will be the main event, which is going to be the Pagan Pride event for Colorado Springs. So we'll go from Denver to Colorado Springs and then back home again. And then we have on the 23rd of September, we will be at Enchantment in Manchester, Connecticut, and we will be presenting Communing with the Ancestors. Uh, it's kind of a timely workshop as fall begins because that, that's actually the uh, autumn tide. So we'll be talking about how to um, connect, how to utilize, I will say, the tools that Raven has um, been communicated, these ideas and these uh, tools have been communicated to Raven, how to work with these tools to have a better um, energy connection or what is it called, energy connection to the ancestors? Well, that and just, just a, a, a channel on opening you know, a flow that comes uh, from them. So these techniques uh, seem to kind of fine-tune that and amplify it, and I, I found them to be very effective, so I, I'm always eager to share that with people who have an interest. Right. Uh, so that will be, as I said, on Saturday the 23rd, and then on um, the 20th of September will be our next show, next uh, broadcast of Seasons of the Witch, and then on the 28th of September, which is a um, Friday, we will be at the Robin's Nest in Bellingham, Massachusetts. One of our, uh, all of these places are our favorites because the people there are just amazing. This amazing, the store owners and the, the people who come to um, yeah. be a part of the workshops are just really lovely people. I'm sorry, I correct myself. That's Thursday the 28th, not a Friday. So um, we'll be presenting their workshop um, entitled uh, The God and Goddess of, of Witchcraft. In Witchcraft and Wicca. In Witchcraft and Wicca. Um, there's more details about it. I, I, I didn't wrap my brain around it enough now to um, tell you more about it. But uh, if you go to, these, uh, go to Robbie's website, um, uh, Robin's Nest website, uh, and under events, you'll see a, a, a more detailed description of the workshop itself. Right, but but in you know just sort of a short blurb on it, it's looking at the deity forms that we find in systems of Wicca and, and some witchcraft systems, but going deeper than you know the surface thing of a triformis goddess and you know moon and sun and all that. Uh, while we will of course touch on that, we're going to try to go much deeper into these deity forms and um, kind of look at uh, levels that empower like things such as the wheel of the year, uh, lunar and solar rites, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So we hope you can join us uh, there if you're in the area of Bellingham, Massachusetts. Um, and then to uh, move on to, um, we also want to acknowledge all of the um, hectic, um, incredibly, um, I don't even know, I don't even have words to describe the events that are going, the natural events that are going on right in the world, in the world right now. Especially here in the U.S. Right, the fires and the, the hurricanes, the flooding, um, it, it, I know it's overwhelming for everybody and the empathy that is felt and the compassion that is given is tremendous and um, we just want everybody out there to know that it does not it does not go easily by us. 
um, we, you know, we do we do what we can, mm -hmm. and um, we have donated. Um, we we have no way of outreach um, per se, but other than we're here if anybody needed us. We're here to talk. We're here to, you know, be able to support in, in any way that we can. Um, and we have, unfortunately, with the things that we're dealing with ourselves, it, 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 that's kind of why we're hunkered down and would look to have people really yeah. uh, reach out. Well, it's interesting, you know, and we, we can relate to a lot of what the individuals are having to deal with. Of course, there is on a much greater level than, you know, what we had to deal with with the devastation of our home. But it's, uh, it's a, it's, it does help us better understand on a daily basis, you know, the initial impact where you realize people, you know, you, you're, you're displaced from your home. You had to get out quickly. You have nothing literally as you go out the door with the clothes on your back and, and then you have to find a place to stay. You have to, you know, organize how you're going to deal with things and, and communication is sluggish. Um, you know, so it's, uh, even though, Ours uh, was certainly lesser than what the, the good folks of Houston had to deal with. We we can certainly relate to that that uh, that shock that individual. I was going to say it is. It's really a shock to the system. Yeah, it's, it's, because you're you're in a situation, but you still have to bring it yes. to to cooperate and to cope with the events that are going on because it's life and death. Yeah, uh, and you know even though we're not they're experiencing it. We do. I do have a lot of empathy for that. Uh, that's mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why it seems so much. It, it just seems like so much more yeah. this time around. Yeah, it's heartbreaking you know, to watch people. You know, I, I, we watch the news obviously, and and to see these people, you know, being brought out of their homes on little boats, and they just got you know their dog in their arms or a a bag of whatever they could you know grab of their personal belongings and. Just that look on their face, you know, I just go, wow, yeah, I know that feeling, you know. Um, but what we can all do, of course, is, you know, to pray for these good folks and, you know, to do what you can to raise energy with yeah. our magic and, and just to to be supportive on that energetic level. It really means a lot. I know it did to us when people reached out. Oh, my God. Or even just wrote something and said, you know, we're praying for you or, Still doing you it. know, and, and, and to watch the TV and see these just, People reaching out and offering, you know, all kinds of things. It's, it's just so true, you know. The, the, um, the saying, you know, that when things are at their worst, you know, people are at their best. And to watch how people reach out and, and donate and rescue and volunteer, it's just, you know, it is the good part of, of the human condition. Well, and as so many people have said, now if we could only just continue that stream of consciousness yeah. to extend to everyday life, to every human being. Right, to be there um, for each other. <laughs> right. Any, any way, you know, not, not dependent on situations. And, and of course, you know, we need to add that, you know, um, these storms, these uh, weather conditions, you know, these are natural events. You know, they're cause and effect by a chain of, of things that happen. You know, of course, in ancient times, they believed that the the gods directed all of this, and you know, one god was angry, or you know, that type of thing, and 
and so they saw some some deity behind or spirits behind any any kind of uh, tragedy like this and then unfortunately we also have today some people in uh, a particular religion who look at this as punishment you know uh, on gay people or punishment on you know this that or the other thing that god is angry and he's you know he's bringing a uh, a storm that devastates you know everybody hundreds of thousands of people you know because he's got a hair up his nose about a gay issue you know it's just ridiculous um but you know people do believe that and there are people who believe that you know weather is somehow under their command and you know that's that's a rather uh, bold and narcissistic uh, view, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, you know, but we we probably should add that you know in the Middle Ages, for example, I mean, uh, people did blame weather and crop failure and storms and stuff on witches. You know, and witches have uh, always had this reputation of working weather magic. And I think you know that that's true to a certain degree, that magic can influence. But I think it's rather mild, or at the most moderate. Um, you know, I don't think a coven gets together and brings a hurricane in, you know, and devastates the city, you know, because somebody lives in that city they don't like. Um, you know, we, we need balance in all things. So we need to understand that these are natural disasters and um, we need to reach out to the people and use our magic to to heal what we can and, and speed up processes as we can, both on the mundane level and magical level, so that the uh, these people can find their way back to normalcy. And uh, trust me, uh, Stephanie, I can both say getting back to normalcy is really a vital, uh, urgent thing because it's it's your sanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially um, when you want to be creative and productive. Right. And, um, you know, I'm still working on getting Raven's Law uh, back into gear. It's still alive and, and open. And you are more than welcome to come and shop at ravensloft.biz. Um, but I have, I do have, you know, changes coming. I know I've been saying that for months, but it just seems like one thing after another has really precluded me from um, manifesting that but at the same time some very good things have happened in the interim mm-hmm. that have helped me even refine it more to my vision you know where I feel we're going you know for with our lives in the next five to ten years um, the heavens yeah. granted yeah because in the downtime you know that we we have um, we can re-envision and we're working on new projects and it's kind of like being able to sit down um, reboot and then go back in and look at the programs we yeah. want to, you know, delete yeah. or add to, or, mm-hmm. you know. So this is a great opportunity for us uh, in the interim period while they're rebuilding the house to really strongly envision our work and and come back stronger than ever. So we're excited about that and and we feel very blessed. I was going to say, and it is through the grace of the gods and our audience out there, our friends our family, our associates, people who, again, have been so generous and given to us a huge gift, and that is to be able to take this time to be able to um, re-envision, to 
sort of convalesce, I guess is really yeah. a good word yeah. for it, That's without okay. feeling, you know, the pressures that um, could be upon us and the gratitude for that every day is there. Mm -hmm. um, and again, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, with that, I think that um, let's, uh, let's, you want to get on with the show? Yeah, I think so. We're talking tonight about uh, counter magic and the ethics of the magical arts and witchcraft. And uh, we're going to look at different views. Uh, some of them aren't ones that Stephanie and I personally uh, subscribe to, um, and others are. So I think, uh, you know, I think a good radio show looks at, I mean, looks at, you know, kind of both things rather than just, you know, us sitting here being preachy on our little soapbox, you know. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll squeeze that part in anyway. <laughs> but uh, I think to talk about how people view things, how they have viewed things, there's a, a lot of different views about what magic is, what counter magic is. So. Uh, well, and I also think that um, the 21st century has drastically changed the abilities of people feeling empowered mm -hmm. to do magic in the electronic age. Right. And um, the information highway, you know, has, you know, it's a double-edged sword because it's provided both good and bad for people. And uh, we'll talk more about that. I don't want to jump the gun here. So, um, what would you like to start? You want well, to start we'll talk, talking we'll about what is, is magic? Yeah, we'll talk about what magic is. Okay. Now again, this is, what is magic with the Gramathis? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about some of the you know the views that people have, and then right. we'll just you know reach a definition for the purposes of the show. Yes. Um, but we'll talk about that, and I think that will take us to the first break, and then we'll come back and get into some of the media parts. But I think for us all to be on the same page. Um, you know, we can look at the idea of what is magic. And I think the easiest thing is using you know, a pretty common view that you know, magic is the art of manifesting um, your will or your desire. I mean, that, that's a pretty common definition of magic. Um, and there are various ways to go about that, and, I, and we'll touch on those as the show goes on. But the idea, too, is what is magic itself, you know, not as a result or a thing you're doing, but what is it? Where is this coming from? Um, so the old view is that magic is the natural energy that emanates from all things. Um, so the old view would be, and we've talked about this before on the show, that, uh, you know, rocks emanate energy and consciousness, uh, trees and mountains and forests and people and animals um, all of these things are emanating a magic and they're emanating their own unique consciousness and this coalesces this pools into a conscious etheric um, let's call it mist or vapor um, that is the stuff of magic the raw stuff of magic itself and it can be tapped into. Um, it, it doesn't have a, a directed will of its own. It's, it's just the, the sauce, I guess, you know. And from that, you can tap into it, pull it from various places. Um, this is what some people call juju or mana 
um, the aura of something. So you can pull that in. And I think the spirit of the land, which is a very popular theme, is probably the closest you can come to a greater consciousness that might be imbued or embedded within what we'll call the magical energy. But the idea with magic is to pull that out and condense it into a usable form in a specific location. Because magic itself is everywhere, and if it's everywhere, then where you stand, you're just in the all of it, but you need to get your hands on it and be able to use it. Otherwise, it's just the wind passing by. So one of the ways of, of doing that is through uh, a conscious uh, development of breath to breathe in and out, quicken the magic, to form it with your breath blown into your hands, um, blown into a tool, whatever it might be, in which you feel like you're pulling together that energy and coalescing it and shaping it. Once you feel that it is cohesive and is now part of under your control rather than everywhere, um, that you have a hands-on connection with what you've uh, condensed or concentrated, then you can mentally or emotionally, verbally, all of that, uh, inform the energy. Uh, tell it what it is. Tell it what it's going to be. Tell can it what it's going to be. Can you give an example of that? Well, for example, if um, you know, if I I always use healing as an example. Um, if I wanted to to heal someone, um, then I would uh, go ahead and collect the energy, breathe it. I'd use my hands to form it, almost like I'm I'm packing clay into a ball, working it in. I'd be breathing into it, and then I would I would give it the message. You are a sphere of healing energy. Your design is to heal. You are energetically the energy of healing. Your magic is to heal. I would just keep repeating those kinds of things so I'm informing the energy within the concentrated area I'm working with as to what it's designed to do, can do, and will do. And then I would take that ball of energy, and if I was in the proximity of a friend, I would release it into their body or if it was a particular area of wound and see it sort of um, sinking into the body and spreading below into the lower levels. And I would just release it and let it be within there so that it can take part of, uh, am amplify the natural healing of that individual. Uh, sometimes you people are far away and you, you have to send it to them. So sometimes I'll fashion it into the form of a bird and then release it as a flying bird of some kind, you know, and send it on its way, um, imagining this to be the journey of the magic to the uh, target location. So those are just some of the ways in which you can um, envision how to effectively apply um, what magic is. Now, is that considered... Um, you know, when we when we uh, talk about drawn energy or raised energy, mm -hmm. those are ways of formulating and utilizing magic, yes? Yeah? yeah, the you know, the, the old idea back in the day was that there were two forms of magic, raised and drawn. Raised what is what you could personally um, muster up with your own magical abilities. And drawn was you're drawing it from a higher level than yourself. Um, 
so you're drawing it from the land, you're drawing it from the stones, but if if you're um, I'm, I'm sorry, you're you're raising it. Um, if you're you're raising it up to you. If you're drawing it, then you're tapping into something higher, like you'd be drawing energy from the moon or the sun or the stars, um, that type of thing. So it's coming from on high. It would be more spirits and gods would be um, drawing it and raising it would be using the natural objects in the land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, sorry for the confusion there. Well, I just wanted to, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then you get into the idea of magical energy uh, isn't, or rather doesn't have a, a conscience, conscience of itself. It's just raw energy. Um, it's just like electricity doesn't really have a conscience. It's not thinking, well, I'll electrocute you or I'll light your house, depending yeah, yeah. on how I feel about you. Make your um, toaster work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but it can be used by people who know how to work with electricity to do, you know, good things or not so good things, right? Um, same thing with a gun, you know. Uh, a gun can be used to defend yourself, uh, hunt for food, and it can also be used to rob a bank, you know. It's, it's energy that the wielder decides um, the outcome. Um, so this gets into the old area of black and white magic, as we used to say back in the 60s, or gray magic, which is kind of in between. Um, so again, using magic, whether, you know, for healing, whether for offense, uh, or in the case of the show, counter magic, which is a response to something someone else has done, um, is really kind of defining not magic itself, but what happens when we apply magic to human concerns. Yep. So why don't we go ahead and take a break, uh, listen to some music, and we'll come back and we'll talk about what is counter magic. All right. Well, I'm going to play Jenna Green, and it will be Crossroads. So Excellent. enjoy this. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. Do I take 
Tonight we're talking about um, magic, counter magic and the ethics thereof. So uh, we just got done uh, discussing the idea, or even really talking about um, how we're defining magic for this show tonight and um, what it really is, um, what what we consider magic to be for this discussion as well. Right. And I think we should probably add that when people become proficient in magic or, you know, and then live a magical life, basically living within the principles of what they understand magic to be, um, magic isn't always something you have to perform. Um, it, it works automatically in many cases. It, it, if you have a need and your life has been one of magical, walking a magical path, often things will be um, brought to you, directed to you, or in some way inserted into your life, um, just, you know, because that's what you resonate with. Um, that doesn't always mean that it's good in, 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 in the definition of, you know, pleasant or happy. You know, sometimes magic can come along and uh, get you to look at things uh, in certain ways that perhaps you hadn't before, so they can be challenging. But the ultimate uh, outcome is always for your betterment. And I, and I think if you're walking a magical life, too, that when 
things like that do happen, um, that the choices that you make in order to move forward, just like the, the thing with the house with us. I mean, we, we could have made um, many different choices on how we wanted to handle what had happened, but we could see even through the chaos and, you know, the challenges that the best thing we could do was our will and our will is to restore that house. Right. And so every act that we do leads us in that direction. Right. And I, I'm a firm believer in, in a principle that I, I teach in a lot of my workshops. And that principle is that the universe has no plans for your destruction. It only has plans for your successful spiritual evolution. But that, that doesn't mean a smooth ride, um, but it does mean ultimately a successful outcome. But in between, you know, there are valleys and then there are mountaintops, you know, there are beautiful vistas and then there's times when you can't see more than an inch from your nose, you know, so, but it's all part of, of the evolutionary pattern. And one of the old mystery teachings, they say, um, the gods do not make of even the fairest light a thornless rose. So we all have our challenges and that's part of growth. So... Um, oh, it was a great question, and now it just went <laughs> flooded right out of my head, darn it. Um, we'll go on, because okay. I, I, it'll come back to me. All right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I oh, know what it here is. Here it is. Yeah, here it is. So what part do you think, when, when, when I'm talking about walking the magical life, mm -hmm. treading that path, right. that my will is my guide to love and compassion, okay. that... And, and I'm endeavoring. I am, I am clearly not a perfect person. Um, but I'm endeavoring to walk that path with those qualities. And um, what part do you think that your um, relationship or your alignment with your, with, with not your, but with the divine and or nature spirit, um, you know, um, other entities that uh, make themselves known, how do those influence your magic? Do we draw them in? Do they add on? Is it only through rapport and alignment that that's available? I mean, how can you kind yeah. of talk about that a little bit? Well, I think rapport and alignment makes the communication easier. You know, it's just like having all the settings on your device, you know, um, that, that make it be the object for communication that you want it to be. Um, and then those things happen automatically as you, you know, download apps and, and different things, you know. Um, you're customizing. And so working with deity and spirit is the same. You enter into agreements with them, agreements of consciousness, uh, uh, connecting with them, uh, you know, interfacing and bringing them into your life and, and you into their realm of, of influence. So um, at, at first, I think it's a conscious effort. And then after that, it becomes a relationship. So in any relationship, you know, you may call someone or they may call you. You know, it's the same thing with the deities and spirits. You know, you may be calling upon them. Sometimes they may be calling upon you. Well, I clearly know that that's right. That happens with the ancestors. Sure. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Because, well, the ancestors are ever-present. Um, their voices are always speaking to us from the living river of blood within us. Um, we just have to uh, pay attention. Well, and you, you've also spoke, too, about the idea that they 
ancestors have an investment in our success. And Absolutely. so they are there to advocate and to guide and whisper. And it's not there's not one single day that doesn't go by that I don't think about my known ancestors to me because they were so influential. But beyond that, I think about when I think about them, I think about the trickle down to like you say, every person in this world mm -hmm. has had a pagan ancestor one sort of. If you another. go back far enough, yeah. we all are descended from pagans. Now, I, did, I, I, I have digressed from the topic, but <laughs> I think it was important to, to, to ask about that, yeah. again, for clarification, of uh, because so many of us do call upon um, even uh, aspects of um, paganism that call upon saints, uh, they call about calm the Elishas, they call it right. um, you know. Yeah, and, and actually, I mean, everything you brought up is really part of the idea of counter magic because you draw upon your allies, ancestors, deities, spirits, whatever they may be, to assist you and, and empower your work through counter magic. So it's, it's not divorced from the topic at all. Mm -hmm. um, but what is counter magic? Uh, you know, counter magic is the idea that. When you're under assault from someone else, whether it's mundane or whether it's spiritual or magical, that you have the right to defend yourself. Um, my belief is that no one should just have to sit there and take it and hope it goes away, you know, or, you know, light a candle and think happy thoughts, you know, thinking, <laughs> you know, eventually, you know, this will stop. Um, Sometimes you have to take action. Now, there's different levels of that, and we'll, we'll get into that. But, uh, you know, it reminds me, and I brought up this, this uh, example before. You know, I studied martial arts for many years, and one of the uh, things that my sensei taught me was that if someone lays a hand on you, meaning, meaning you harm, that you if they've actually reached out and touched you, then you disable your opponent as quickly and as efficiently and effectively as possible because you don't want to prolong the fight, not for yourself and not for the other person. You know, you want to, to put this to rest very quickly and, and put a stop to it. And I think that's wise, even in the magical level. And we'll, we'll talk about the alternative ways of looking at that type of defense. But the, the, the core issue behind counter magic, the reason it even exists, is that obviously someone down the line in the past uh, felt the need to do that and created the system that we've inherited and then built upon, um, which is counter magic, the ability to either reflect something someone has sent to us, reflect it back to them, uh, or neutralize it, as in the martial arts example, you know, dissolve it, destroy it. Um, refashion it, turn it back into raw energy, and then use that energy. Um, energy never dissipates. No. It's malleable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are, in, in days of old, um, the view of Hecate was that um, you could you could send anything to her, and she would compost it. So you could take the attack of an ener uh, the energy of an attacker, and offer it to Hecate. And she would take that energy and, and compost it and turn it into just raw stuff again without the intent 
she would actually remove the wish or the desire within the energy. Mm -hmm. And that was neutralized and went away, and then she would just compost the energy. So that any time you turn to Hecate for help um, or assistance, she would just rechannel all the compost energy back to anyone that was calling upon her. Um, a rather efficient way of, of wielding energy without having to tap into yourself. So um, this idea of uh, Hecate in that way uh, is very good also for the counter magic, and she can be very effective in, in that way. Uh, one of the problems with counter magic is the idea of discernment. Um, to look at the attack, why it came to you, and does it need a response? And picking up a phone and calling the person put an end to it because it was a misunderstanding. And calling up friends to be mediators um, with the attacker, you know, um, these are the mundane ways uh, of counter magic because you're just trying to counter the idea of what happened. But it is important to look at why. Um, why did this happen? If someone's uh, sent energy to you in the form of a spell and you feel it's an attack, um, why do you think they felt the need to do that? And then you can check in with yourself. Uh, and, and see, because you know, no one casts needless spells. People don't sit around and go, well, there's nothing really going on, but, uh, you know, Joe's never really done anything to me, but, you know, what the heck, I think I'm just going to send a spell against him because I'm bored tonight. You know, that, that typically doesn't happen. So if Joe gets a spell cast on him, Joe should kind of think, oh, well, what part did I play in that? Um, and then see, you know, about the, the justice of it all, I suppose. Um, the idea of counter magic, too, comes in different levels. Is it, you know, tit for tat? Is it just like a ping pong game between people? Um, or do you escalate it? You know, if someone did a minor thing to you, then do you turn around and turn it into a nuclear event? You know, um, this is the idea of balance. And all magicians, all magic users, witches, must be balanced. If you don't have that balance, it will sooner or later take you down, magic itself. Um, because there's a cause and effect. There are laws, metaphysical laws, that, that um, what should we say, monitor or measure you know, this flow of magic. And it's not just carte blanche. You know, we don't have the... Well, they're not guidelines. They're actually... They're metaphysical laws. Exactly. That move and turn. Right. You know. And uh, the more you disturb them, the more you become noticed by them. And uh, that can be problematic. <laughs> <laughs> so spirituality is a huge part of it, too, because the more you work on your spirituality, you know, the less you're going to do uh, magical things that can, uh, you know, in uh, the final analysis, uh, analysis uh, be something problematic for yourself. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I get really bummed because um, a lot of times I'm viewed as a tinker, though, because my, my road, my path to it, is to address it and communicate. Whereas when people hold certain perceptions, um, and they're and they're completely subjective. Again, like you said, there's no discernment going on. 
there's something else going on, and that part of the that piece of the puzzle sometimes is missing for the other person, yeah. and so it, it is hard to um, I don't know hard to I don't want to say retaliate, but hard to 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 give back what you feel you you've been bestowed with. Um, because you don't quite understand the um, the impetus behind it. Yeah. You know, and so that makes it yeah, for me a little bit difficult to really do do much about. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all part of the discernment puzzle. You know, trying to trying to figure that out. But you know, Stephanie and I uh, rarely do magic as the first thing we turn to. Um, because people will always say, well, you just do magic, you know. Um, what we will do in most cases, if we have a situation going on with someone, um, you know, we will talk to them about it. And if they refuse to work with that or they don't want to hear it or they don't think, you know, that what we're saying is true, um, then those, then those, um, those methods are exhausted. And uh, then we will we will turn to magic, and that is a rule of thumb for us. Um, we try to fix it on the mundane plane first. If it doesn't seem like we can get any cooperation there, uh, then we will turn to magic. And our our magic is always mild in the first initial use of it, and then we adjust it as needs be. Um, so counter magic for us is first trying a mundane fix. That doesn't always work. Sometimes people won't communicate with you or there's a severance between you and other individuals that is just in the way. And so, you know, you've got to find other, other things. But whenever possible, um, you know, you like if someone's sick, I, I would suggest to, you know, make them a bowl of soup and bring up some vitamins or something, you know, rather than going into your magic room and whipping up a spell, you know, try to try to deal with it, you know, um, mm -hmm. on the mundane first. And if that doesn't seem to work, uh, move on. And, and I believe that that's part of the magical path because the more, mm, what, um, I don't want to say desperate, but the more needy um, you are in the situation um, and the less resources you have and therefore you become more apprehensive, um, the more then can be channeled into the magic because you're not getting anywhere in the mundane. So that's another reason for not just whipping up magic for every little thing that comes along. Um, use magic for when it's really needed and that, and that magic is going to be more empowered because you are at the point where you need it. It's not just, well, conveniently I could cast a spell. It's like, oh, all right, I'm going to have to cast a spell. And that's a different mindset. And I think it's more powerful in, in launching. So that's the idea of, uh, of, of counter magic. In counter magic, is there a backlash? Um, is there a karmic element to it? Well, you know, certainly cause and effect are part of everything. But um, I've learned over the decades of working with magic that intent is a huge part of it. What was the intent of your magic? Was the intent of your magic to stop others from harassing you, harming you, you know, putting obstacles in front of you? Um, was it just that sort of leave me alone kind of spell? 
you know, or was it that you wanted to harm them? You wanted, you know, uh, pound of flesh for whatever they did to you. Um, and so that spell would be crafted for harm. Um, you know, so that you just need to look at those elements. If you intentionally want to harm somebody in retaliation, you know, there's, there's an element of that for justice. Was it just? Or was it just, you know, Well, don't you think of that, 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 well, I was just going to say, but again, that's all perception. Well, it's perception, but perception colors the, the energy of, of it coming back to you. Right. You know, for example, you know, World War II, you know, everybody was fighting for what they believed in, you know, the yeah. Germans and the Japanese yeah. and the yeah. English and the Americans. and They all felt you know, justified and right. They all felt justified. Right. They had a plan. They right. were trying to pull it through. Each side thought the other side was the bad guy. Um, so wherein lie the truth? You know, so, you know, for example, you know, bombing Hiroshima with, a, with an atom bomb, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, on the surface is, is a heinous act. I mean, look at what it did, you know, all the millions of people that died in these nuclear bombs that were dropped on, on these Japanese cities. Um, was that evil, you know, and did we get some kind of backlash for doing that? Um, or was it justified? You know, some people say it was justified because it brought the war quickly to an end and saved even more lives than, than you know, would have been lost and died in, in those bombings. Right. And this is the way the humans play with these themes. You know, I suppose to redeem oneself, to, you know, justify one's actions. But I, I believe that the higher powers know the truth of it, and they end up sorting it out. You know, was your counter magic justified? You know, was the amount of your of it justified? The energetic impact was that justified? Was um, the way you went about it? You know, all of these things. I think a higher power sorts that out. And yes, yeah, sometimes I think you will get a karmic return. Other times I think it just sort of balances out, and the energy just sort of you know wafts away because mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a payoff. It, yeah, right. Exactly. It's just yeah, and it becomes just. A, Neutralizes, Neutralizes it, it, itself. Yeah, yeah. I just think exactly. that can be true. But you know, we humans play the game. You know, we never think that we're the bad guys. We <laughs> think the other guy's the bad guy. <laughs> and I always point that out. You know, that we no one gets up in the morning and says, "Well, I'm a bad guy, and I think I'll go out and do bad guy things today." You know, um, people are people, and they do what they do, and and they do it based upon you know. Their emotional, spiritual yeah. condition. Their conscious know. agreements about yeah, their world. Exactly. And sometimes that's very unpleasant for people around them. And other times it can be pleasant for people around them. Right. So, you know, um, again, discernment. Um, but I think we should put our energy into supporting people who have a positive impact uh, on other people in the world and, and, and avoid giving our support and energy to people that just bring negativity and berate people and who, who drain you know yeah just who drain you know, the energy of, the life out of everything. right there, there there's no justification for putting your energy into support of, uh, of people of that uh, nature so let's see we let's talk a little bit about the threefold law this you find more in Wicca than you do in witchcraft. And there's a couple different ways of looking at the threefold law. Um, for those of you who may not be familiar with that term, essentially 
It's a a axiom axiom thing being a principle within uh, modern without witchcraft uh, some witchcraft systems that basically says you can do whatever you wish as long as it doesn't cause harm to someone else. Um, so a lot of times people who follow that strictly will do a spell and then they'll add at the end of the spell, you know, so long and as this causes hard, no harm, right. you know, let the spell, you know, be successful. And if it's going to cause somebody harm, then neutralize the spell because even the wise cannot see all ends. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're hedging their, their bet there that in case I haven't really thought this out, and someone's harmed by it, don't let the spell take effect. So that that's how I would call the kind of orthodox view of the threefold law. Now, other people look at it as more of a guideline than a law. They're saying, you know, try not to harm other people. Don't intentionally set out with a spell to harm someone, you know. But but, but, but doesn't that become situational ethics? Well, it, it can, but I'm just posing it as a you know, contrast against the other view right. that they're saying, well, it's not a strict law. Right. And I realize that I shouldn't harm anybody, but this spell to me is really important and, you know, I'm going to do it anyway and just hope, you know, it's cool. You know, it, it can be anything even from like, you know, casting a spell to have your resume, you know, win you the job. Well, there may have been people more qualified or more needy of the job than you and they didn't get the job because your spell got you the job. So people would look at the ethics of that. Was that right? Was that fair? You know, and then they would play the human game of discernment, justification, and and um, all that. Um, so I only bring that up because there, this is another way of looking at the threefold law. That it's just a guideline. Um, okay. So then. Um, we have to look at it also from a point of view of nature. And I say that because I believe that Wicca and witchcraft are essentially nature-based. They are tied into the formula of nature and how nature functions and operates. Um, well, especially since you're using the energies of nature. They, right. I think they have to be um, abide within that realm right. of, of functionality and, and also reality. You know, how you go about utilizing the right. natural world. Because tied in with the threefold law is the idea that whatever you send out, positive or negative, returns to you three times. Yeah, but we don't. No. Oh, because? We're discussing, yeah. We're discussing views of the threefold law. Oh, okay. So some people will okay. look at that and say that the threefold law is all about don't harm someone. Because if you do, it will return to you times three. So if you cause somebody to, you know, lose their job through magic because you wanted that job, um, the idea behind that principle would be that that bad luck will come on you times three, and you'll have to deal with this on, you know, three greater levels. You may lose three jobs in a row, or right, you may, right. you know, whatever the, the case may be, they see that as the end result of violating the threefold law. Um, but I brought up nature earlier because in nature, we don't really have that principle. It's, it's not really a principle of physics. For example, if I take a rock and I throw it up in the air, the rock does not come down three times as fast as it went up. 
<laughs> it actually comes down with the same amount of energy. It just feels like it hits you three times as hard as it bops you in the head. But the energy that sent it up is the exact proportion of energy from which it descends. Um, so there isn't anything in nature that amplifies one thing times three, um, one act, one you know thing you did or didn't do. Um, so I always look at that in nature, and I don't see it reflected there. Mm -hmm. So what I believe, and this is our, you know Stephanie and I and our personal view of the threefold law and the law of return times three, all sewed into the one thing, mm -hmm. is that what actually happens is that things that you do are things that are done to you, but things that you do create a threefold effect. What I mean by that is it affects you mind, body, and spirit. The example I always use in a workshop is that if we, if you're walking down the street and you're on your way to work and you see this little old lady struggling, you know, with a grocery bag and she spills it, um, if you stop and help her, you pick up the groceries, put it back in her bag, maybe help her across the street, she smiles and says, thank you so much, and you smile and say, you're welcome, and off she goes, and you, you kind of feel good about what you did. And that makes your body feel lighter and your spirit feel lighter. And, and um, there's just this level of return. And by the time you, know, you start walking away from her, you feel much better than you probably did before you saw her. There's a threefold return, mind, body, and spirit. Your body had an endocrine gland secretion reward, which made you feel you know, good. Uh, your mind responded to the enhanced uh, chemical composition of the body and then your spirit reacted to the higher level of your mentality. Mm -hmm. um, so when we look at this thing called the threefold law, that's what we look at, that one thing affects you, mind, body, and spirit. And it, do, it does that in reverse, too. Say you're on your way to work, same scenario, and a woman drops her groceries, little old lady. You look at your watch and say, oh, screw it, I can't, you know, I'm going to be late. So you walk by and you pretend like you didn't see her. Well, you know, within a few feet of that, you're going to feel bad about that. Most people will feel bad about that. Um, and they'll wish later on while they're sitting in their office, they're going to think about it probably a couple times during the day mm -hmm. of how they left that little old woman on the street corner, you know, with spilled, <laughs> you know. And, and that's going to affect their mind, body, and spirit. Um, so I, I think that that's a more natural way of looking at the, uh, uh, the people along the law of return. Um, can we take a break? Yeah, let's take a it's little minute break. It's 8 o'clock, it's the top of the hour. Come back and razzle-dazzle some more on the topic of counter magic and ethics in the magical arts of witchcraft. Uh, all right, well, how about, uh, let's see, let's pick a song. We have so many. Thank you so much, artists, musicians, for providing us with these beautiful songs and, you know, your music, your words. It's so nice to to uh, be able to play this for people. So I think what I'm going to play is Spiral Dance, The Oak. I hope you enjoy this and come back right after for more talks on counter magic and they're in of the ethics of right. we'll be talking about magical wards and other things when we come back
veins, the head and the heart, the earth, the roots, the leaves and the bark. Tear the branch and your crops will fail. Break the bow and your fleet won't fail. It cries when the black rain Raven and Stephanie Gramasi. 
Well, one of the reasons I chose that is because where we are now uh, habitating, um, there we are surrounded by the greenwood, and mm. and I am uh, frequently being uh, tapped on the head with acorns <laughs> falling from the trees, which for me is a dream come true, true as you well know. I do know that. Yes. But we actually literally, the, the rest of the house while we're waiting for our home to be rebuilt, faces uh, a forest. So that's our view out the front uh, window and door. And then the house is surrounded by what we've come to call a fairy glen. It's just a, an amazing arc of greenery uh, and some apple trees. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we have a wildlife that comes out of the forest. and. Uh, so we kind of like feel like witches living in a cabin in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> we even have our own thumble tack. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Which is a little bean from a, yes. a movie if you haven't. Uh, Spider Wick. Spider Wick. Um, a little creature we call thumble tack who was in that movie. He's a little brownie. He's a little brownie spirit. Yeah. But he's actually a, a physical chipmunk. Here at the house, he is a yeah, physical chipmunk. Yeah. He looks like Tumbletack from the movie, so we named him Tumbletack. Well, he sits up on his little hind legs and is eating all the little tidbits we yeah. give him. So, let's get back to our topic at hand. Oh, that's right. We're doing a radio show. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So, we uh, just sat down talking about the threefold law and our view of that as right. it affecting mind, body, and spirit. And um, now I know we have, we're going to talk about wards, but first, you want to talk about the one law of World War Witchcraft. What right. is the one law of World War Witchcraft? Yeah, this is something not commonly uh, talked about, probably not commonly known, but in the older forms um, of magic in, in old witchcraft, um, uh, what I cut my teeth on is what we called the one law. And the one law reads that we, which is we never harm the innocent. And then we define what innocent means. An innocent is one who does not provoke us. Provoke us and you lose the protection of being an innocent because you no longer are. So that's the one law. Now that may sound a little harsh, but it really ties back in with the idea of wanting to just be left alone. And if people aren't willing to do that, um, and they are causing you distress or harm or blocking you um, with obstacles or, you know, whatever they want to mess with you on, um, is that the one law then looks upon them as no longer being worthy of being protected because they're just simply up to no good and no one has the right to just, in their idiotic moment, make your life more miserable. Um, so this is the idea of, of the one law. And uh, it really is a positive law because it actually calls upon people um, to remain innocent, which is a, a good position to be. Don't be up to no good. And um, and everybody lives happily ever after. So the one thing that I think uh, many times is that people do not reciprocate the idea that Everybody has feelings that one person feels the infraction that they feel was done to them, and the person that they're holding responsible for that, they have not 
given any discernment to, as you had earlier said, why that would have been done in the first place. Mm -hmm. That if the person can't communicate with the person and they're left no other alternative but to counter that there's no reciprocation of, of feeling of empathy for the other person. It's just taken on as a slight or a um, something that's being done to them rather than there being a greater understanding, like you said earlier, is what what could have happened that would warrant or that would draw that to me. Yeah. Which I think is, is, is ultimately at the core of all of this kind of nonsense. Well, you know, but people Lack can, of communication. Well, the people tend to point fingers at you know, each other and, and, you know, I mean, look at the situation with North Korea and uh, the United States, you know, you've got, you know, these these two leaders. Who are not, they're not talking the same language. No, and they're both, you know, they, they're both accusing the others of the same exact thing. Exactly. You know, the North Koreans think we're the aggressors and we think they're the aggressors. They think they're protecting themselves uh, by trying to appear, you know, strong, and, and we think that they're agitating us and, and threatening us, you know, and so, you know, this becomes the discernment. Where is the truth? Well, as the old saying goes, um, truth is the first first casualty, casualty in any conflict. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing we all need to think about because we can go off and imagine and assume, and we, we more often do that than not, um, about the other person and their motives. And even when it gets to the point where they say, well, I didn't mean it that way, you know, rather than entertaining that idea, people go, oh, yes, you do. And then, oh, I didn't know. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. You know, um, I would think that the person who initiated it uh, knows whether they meant it or not. You know, it's not a debate for them. But the other person is going, yes, you did. You know, as though they know the truth of someone else's truth. And that's just, you know, that's your crazy talk. <laughs> you know, and, I mean, really. Um, so, uh, you know, you look at a, you look at a situation like Korea and the United States. You know, how do you resolve that, you know? Uh, when both people are coming from where they're coming from. Um, you can't, not under those, in that mentality. And we find ourselves in in the craft in the same way. You know, you get, you lock horns with someone who's, you know, whatever, and off you go. And um, uh, truth becomes irrelevant, and stories get created and told, and timelines get changed to make things look worse than they actually were. And, um, and people just, you know, begin to, to want to see a side win, mm -hmm. um, and they take sides, and, and I think that, that that is difficult in the world to work with each other. It's difficult in the craft community, the dating community, to work with each other when we assume things and we become uh, hunkered down in our personal truth, and, and we just won't allow for any other reality. Uh, it it's is the difficult. way of mind. Yeah. It is unfortunate, and always has been, you know. Well, you know, but the thing is to persevere. I mean, to persevere on the spiritual level. And that's why spiritual evolution is so important. You know, we shouldn't get hunted down in our material existence and focus all of our energies on our pettiness and, 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 and our hatred and our annoyances and stuff. We should focus on how do we rise above this? How do we move on to where 
that energy is not bogging us down and not bogging the other person down to look for the higher ground, I suppose, and to try to get the people involved in the whole mess to also walk to the higher ground where you can see clearly and have that talk that could resolve all things. Um, but that's not going to happen in most cases, unfortunately. But you can't just give up and say, oh, well, that's the way things are. Uh, you move on. And so in my circle, you know, Stephanie and I, we just, you know, back to the altar we go, back to our deities and spirits, you know, back to the people we, we, we know and love and, and look for the renewal of light within that um, region. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we move on uh, to deal with everything else. But you got to reboot and um, renew and get back to the light. And once the light's shining, then you can see better as you move forward where there's darkness. So, okay, that was our little soapbox moment there. And now let's talk about magical wards. What are they? Well, the, the word ward is an old, uh, sort of archaic word, really, from the English language that means a protection or a barrier of some kind. Um, modern uh, definition of the word is like a, uh, a place, like the ward of a hospital. Um, but we in the pagan witchcraft community use the term ward as a protection. Something that wards off, sends away, or blocks in some capacity. Now that can be done um, through a variety of ways in which you can protect um, both yourself and your house, or even a setting with a magical ward. Some examples are you can scribe a pentagram on uh, the glass of your windows. Now, I'm not, not carving it into the glass, but tracing it with your finger or wand or something. Yeah, just putting it there. And placing it energetically, um, because these things are entryways. Um, doorways and windows and chimneys um, are all entryways into to a home. Um, and it's interesting if you think about that, because nine times out of ten, when you you know hear a ghost story or whatever, the people will say that you know the ghost came through the door or was standing at the top of the stairs or. You know, it's like they don't just, the normal isn't, well, it walks through the wall. You know, they seem to use existing doorways, looking in the window and being at the top of a staircase, you know. Um, and so these become otherworldly entries, too, as above, so below. So our windows and doors and chimneys become ways of getting in from the other world to this realm in a replica, you know, on this side. Uh, Form just one on the other side. So um, pentagrams in the doorways, pentagrams on the windows, and then you would do your spell in which you would inform the energy as to what you want that to do. So you might trace a pentagram and say, protect me and block and send away any negative ill wish or harmful desire that is sent to me. Um, you know, something to that effect. So you're informing the pentagram as to what, what its is, purpose what? is. Um, you can add the old folk remedies as well by sprinkling a coarse salt along a window seal or the entry, um, what do you call it, the threshold of a doorway because it's believed that that purifying energy absorbs ne- negativity because salt is a crystalline form. Um, 
you can put uh, red brick dust. That's uh, an old uh, conjure kind of southern uh, uh, magic technique uh, to use that uh, because it's foundational. Bricks built where uh, bricks formed the walls, and so essentially you use the dust of a brick that was a wall at one point. Uh, being one of the things behind why that would work. Um, you can do that on your body by charging a pentacle, a charm, earrings, a bracelet, anything you want, and you would just simply reword that to be a uh, to protect you, your body, mind, and spirit from any ill wish, harmful act, or you know negativity. Negativity is the case. Um, so you're building up these protections or wards. Uh, most people, in, in, when working with magic, will recharge their wards um, once a month, um, normally under the full moon, um, to fully impact and, and keep that vitalized and active. Maybe even rescribe the images of the pentagram, um, put additional salt or dust, uh, brick dust or whatever it might be. Other people will take an object and charge that object. So the object could even be something like a, you know, a, a statue of an owl, and they would charge that. Uh, maybe put some stones along, you know, side the owl to be. Uh, would you use a, a, a familiar? You know, to uh, a um, what do you call it? A not a breathing familiar. What do you call the other? <laughs> spirit familiar. Yeah, spirit familiar. Or, Elemental yeah. familiar. Yeah. I mean, like a like charging the owl as a yeah. familiar ward. Right. Yeah, you would charge the owl to be an etheric uh, spirit, you know, owl. Right. And um, give it uh, the same information. Why it's there, what it does. Um, charge the stones to help keep the power next to the owl. Then there's advanced ways. Uh, you hollow if you have a a figurine that's hollow and actually has a hole in the bottom, you can put a potion in there, a magically prepared and charged potion that is the like blood of the being. Animated. And you, yeah. to animate it, you right. pour that in, you plug the hole with either wax or cork or something, and that liquid within the, the potion within the uh, figurine uh, becomes the like blood of the entity. Um, the problem with that is that this is called an artificial uh, being, and it can um, become self-aware and self-sentient, uh, aware of itself, and it can at some point want to take on its own thing. Um, so that's one of the drawbacks of using that. You have to be more, more advanced in magic to use those. Um, when one, you both the witches familiar talk about? Well, coincidentally, yes, I did write about this in my book called The Witch's Familiar. Um, but you you can take, and when it becomes problematic, you can pop the cork, and over a period of seven days, you pour out a little bit of the liquid inside, not all at once, and this ebbs away the spirit uh, rather, than that, you know, rather than pouring it all out and you know, just grab your feet. You know. Shocking the whole thing, you know, you just ebb it away so it slips away into unconsciousness. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's written up in more detail in, in the book. But these are ways that people um, can uh, can and do uh, deal with magical wards. So you do need to recharge your wards um, from time to time to keep them active and powerful. 
Um, you know, you can't just put them up once and then rely upon them to forever uh, bounce things back from you, you know. Well, that's just like your jewelry, too. I mean, if you're wearing your jewelry for protection or empowerment, you you virtually are absorbing um, that energy from those objects. And so, of course, you need to recharge them again. Right. You're, you're, you're sucking them dry, so to speak. Yeah, you have to... You have to be uh, mindful and, and practical with your wards and, and realize that, uh, you know, you're, you also have to, to look in terms of balance because your your wards are as strong as you and your allies are and whatever power the deities may or may not, you know, put into that for you uh, becomes how powerful your wards are. No one is all powerful. Um, and so, you know, you, you have to strengthen your wards and try to draw in aid from other sources uh, to make sure that um, nothing's going to get through the wards. If a series, and I mean a series, of unusual things begin to happen that have no natural explanation, it can sometimes mean that your wards have been penetrated. Um, we're going to talk later a little bit about dragon magic. I tend not to get too much information about that. But dragon magic is one of the ways that you can get through just about any war that's put up there. Um, but again, I'm not going to go into that in great detail, but I, I think that uh, it may be of interest uh, for people to know uh, a little bit about that form of magic. It's really uh, old world witchcraft. Which leads me into talking about old magic and how it differs from popular magic. <laughs> Indeed. Um, there's what I call old magic, and this comes from a time when we didn't have a lot of these rules and ways of looking at things and lists of, of things that, you know, were written in books of, you know, how to, how not to, what should, shouldn't do, law of three, law of return. Um, what we had was the old magic, and people just understood that there was this thing called magic and they understood that it had power and that it could do things sometimes on its own um, sometimes with your direction and sometimes it could come to you from the direction of others um, so the idea was that old magic had its own consciousness so almost contrary to what i've been saying the entire show is that it has a mind of its own but it works with you so one example would be in modern magic you know you you would do a spell and you would designate uh, what's going to happen what you want to happen uh, what's going to affect the person what shouldn't affect the person you know whatever it might be you're going to spell it all out in a spell no pun intended and work it out so that the spell knows it's going it's only going to do x y and z and but you stated what x y and z is you may say i want this that or the other thing to happen to that person but the old magic is you would you would take the magic and you would say to the magic uh, what the end result is your desired end result and then you would let the magic find its own way to accomplish that so you're not constraining it by Informing, it, informing to the it that it's only going to do this or that. Right, right. If you say, I want uh, 
the situation with this individual, you know, quelled, or I want this person to to just, you know, go away uh, from your life in any connection whatsoever. You just throw that into the old magic, and then the old magic is freer to find ways to accomplish that. You know, I always liken it to, you know, if you do a love spell, and in the love spell you say, I want uh, um, this person who is my height, has blue eyes, has full lips, has uh, curly hair, has, you know, and then you just go into like, you know, 101 things this person needs to be, and then you cast that love spell. Um, it takes the universe quite a long time, you know, to to find an individual at least 101 things, you know, that you want in the person. Uh, the old magic way would be to say, draw to me someone who is compatible to me in all ways. And then the universe can just do that, which is simpler than going through your 101 um, things on your list. So this is kind of the difference between the old ways magic and, and modern magic. Old ways magic too is kind of um, a lingering thing, you know. It, it stays active. It kind of embeds itself in your environment, you know. So you, you need to be mindful of that because it, this isn't energy that you have scooped up and you are completely directing and then you can release it or banish it or neutralize it on your own. Old magic tends to stay around. I mean, there are ways of getting it to move, but on its own, it will basically tend to just linger. So you, you need to be aware of that if you're working old magic. Now, the dragon aspect of that magic um, that I was taught many decades ago is there are two forms. There's the dragon's flame or dragon's fire, which is literally the idea that dragons breathe fire. And that energy is actually confrontational. Um, that energy is kind of like, you know, um, the, the form of karate that I took was uh, tempo. And there's a lot of blocking and thrusting and kicking and punching. It's uh, Even though it's a defensive art, it's actually offensive in its forward movement of the energy and the way you punch and kick and and try to disable you know your opponent in that forward way um, whereas the dragon's breath which is the mist um, is a form of magic that actually seeps in past wards that never detect that there's anything coming until they've been penetrated and essentially it's too late so the mist seeps in through all the cracks and crevices and the things you didn't you know think about and the chinks in your armor, um, just like water would leak out of, of a container if there's even a microscopic hole in it or some kind of a puncture, um, it's going to start working its way out um, because that's the nature of it. Um, so when you train in dragon magic, um, you begin with uh, blowing gently on a flame of a candle and watching the fire move. And you learn then uh, how fire comes on the breath. And then you escalate that up to larger flames where you can blow very hard without blowing the fire out like a little small dessert bowl full of um, um, 
alcohol, I mean like a 180 proof alcohol or something like that, where you can blow on that and you're not going to blow it out, but you can hear the flames with your breath. Um, and then some people have even gone to the extreme of like those uh, people that are performers and they, oh. you know, they drink, drink the, some yeah, and something, then they have a, yeah. a torch and they get it close to their mouth and they spit the blow it out, yeah. And it, you know, flames out and then and, and they'll use that to fine tune the imagery of fire magic. I think that's pretty dangerous and I certainly don't recommend that anybody does that who isn't already a professional at doing it because I certainly don't want any, anyone to be harmed. It would be stupid to do that without you knowing. Um, I don't don't leave uh, 180 proof uh, alcohol bottles open so that the um, vapors are collecting. Vapors are collecting at the top. Put that away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the dragon's mist. Um, the way that we used to work with it is we would get a um, some dry ice, and then we would put a small piece of it in a bowl, a metal bowl, and the smoky steam of dry ice when it hits water. It's what they use in like the horror movies, you know, when there's that fog around the ground, um, it starts to form in the bowl, and then it spills out over the bowl. And you can move it with your hands, or you can move it with just a slight breath on it, and you'll see that the smoke just sort of starts moving. It, it actually contours everything. It goes around the edge of the table. It flows down into the floor. When it hits the floor, it flattens, and then it starts moving. It parts wherever there's a leg, you know, in a chair or whatever. And you can see that nothing can stop this. Wow. You know, it's just going to go where it's going to go. And the object's in its way. It simply goes around them. So we would train um, sort of with that uh, misty idea. And, you know, but there's a lot more to just that. You can't just visualize that um, and have it happen. There, there are other techniques you, you need to use, and those I won't give out uh, here on a radio show. Um, but um, it is a form of magic that, that can be taught, but again, you need more than the visualizations. But it gives you an idea of how that type of magic works. The, the dragon's fire you know, would be the equivalent of, you know, trying to get your dragon's fire burning the door down. You know, it's very aggressive and very pitted against one thing against the other. Um, and so that's a, that's a, that's a combative form of magic and it's a push to shove and push and push back kind of stuff. Um, so you really have to be very energetic and determined <laughs> to play with that type of thing and uh, I don't recommend it. But the Dragon's Mist is something uh, worth exploring um, because it isn't that sort of violent and confrontational. It's more just taking care of things uh, and letting the old magic be go where it will and do what it will on your behalf. We can take a break a little bit and then... Well, we got uh, 25 minutes. minutes. Why don't we take a short break and then we'll finish up the show. Oh, you see you today. Let's see here. Well, tonight, uh, one of the reasons why uh, I'm saying, what do we do next? Um, We're producing the show ourselves. So normally um, we have someone who takes care of uh, all the background stuff like the music and uh, muting and all that type of thing. 
but they had an important meeting to be at, and so we are flying by the seat of our pants. I hope oh, that's not true. I am capable of anything. Well, that's true. There isn't anything Stephanie cannot accomplish. That's right. I cannot accomplish. I um, want to accomplish. That's and, right. Um, I think we're going to. Uh, some of these are kind of long, so that was fine. You got a shorter one? Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking here. So bear um, with us. We're trying to find a short song so we can have just a mini break, my voice a chance to rest. And then we'll be back and we'll wrap up uh, the idea of ethics in general. I'm going to play Kellyanna's Walk with the Goddess. That's always a good one. I love that. It's very uplifting and empowering. So, cool. so let's walk with the Goddess for a couple minutes and then come back to the show and we'll talk about the ethics of magic. And, and finish up. Alrighty then. Enjoy.
Well, we've all had our power walk with the goddess, and we're all feeling energized again. <laughs> Welcome back to the last part of tonight's Seasons of the Witch with Raven and Stephanie Gramasi. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. So um, we just got done talking about um, old magic and the differences with um, that, with old magic and popular uh, meal you know, I want to say neo-paganism, witchcraft, with the magic. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. There's just a very big difference in it. And also talking about dragon magic, which mm-hmm. is um, very powerful. Fascinating. So for these last, uh, this last part of the show, let's talk about the ethics. Yeah, the general ethics of magic. Um, one thing I want to point out... Um, one thing I want to point out is that um, we're not intending to be preachy. So, I mean, we're not saying, you know, this is the one and only way. Um, but I like to give people things to think about and, 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 and challenge. Well, we've been around the block and we've been, yeah. it's not well, that we're preachy. It's just that our experience, I think, lends us to insight and discernment and you know, the experiences that we've had in right. the genre and, and our lives in general. Right. Because the whole, the, the whole thing is part of the kit and caboodle, so. Well, true. I mean, yeah, we're not just fresh off of... Well, no, I'm saying ethics, truck, ethics in life, ethics right. that build character, ethics in particular right. about magic. But what, what I was going for in saying that was the idea of what I'm about to say with ethics. Mm-hmm. is that, you know, people will look at it differently. People have different ethics. Um, and for us to disagree on that is not a negative assault on each other. It shouldn't be, at least. We simply can have different views. We can have different opinions. Um, it doesn't make anybody the bad guy and the good guy. It's just this is the way we all look at it. Um, I always say that truth is a multifaceted gemstone and we all sit facing the facet that has been cut in front of us meaning our experience and what we see and so we look at that facet and sometimes we unfortunately can think that that's the only facet there is and that somebody on the other side of the crystal describing what they see which is different from what we see makes them wrong or short-sighted or unimaginative or you know, whatever it might be, and we all need to understand that we're all seeing the different facets of the one crystal. And if we join our visions together and share with each other how we see something, um, we can uh, eventually obtain the view of the entire crystal, because then we know what all the facets look like. So... And can we we also interact respectively? I think or, we should. Or respectfully. Respectfully, yeah. um, but often human beings don't do that. Um, and that's uh, sad. Um, that's just envy. <laughs> a little bit of envy. That's a line from a Harvey, Harvey movie that Stephanie and I enjoy. So we often speak to each other in movie titles. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if a lot of you out there do that, but movie we, titles, movie we, lines. We, we enjoy it. Yeah, anyway. Um, so um, I'm going to speak about um, the ethics. And uh, I've been told, you know, um, by some people that I have a monotone voice. 
to make people kind of sleepy. Well, I'm not sleepy. That's true. No, I don't. Well, I once had a girlfriend um, who said. Is this about ethics and magic? Yes, it, 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 I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're just reminiscing or if you're well, on target or it's a little above. Yeah, probably a little above. <laughs> um, My bard. I had a girlfriend once who um, said to me, she said, you know, talking to you is like smoking a joint. <laughs> Well, she liked me at the time, so I thought it was a compliment. <laughs> uh, she probably has a different story um, today, but um, but yeah, that doesn't really have anything to do with that. <laughs> but it's a fun story. Uh-huh. So anyway, for those of you who haven't left the show yet, uh, let's finish up with the uh, ethics. Now... In most forms of the craft, again, you know, we have the threefold law and the harm none type thing. Um, and some people are really adamant about just sort of being very passive. Um, some people are adamant about being very silent in situations and matters of political and otherwise. Um, some people get out there and they're spiritual warriors, you know, um, and they, they take people on and, and they try to Situation, get people to see, issues, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, and, uh-huh. and to me, that's all part of our ethical makeup. You know, um, for example, Stephanie and I are not really what I would call political people. We don't get involved in a We're lot of political movement activists. We don't get involved in a lot of that. We, we work behind the scenes with people and donations and different things we do. But we're not on the front lines, you know, carrying the signs and all that. And bless the people that are, you know, those people are needed. We're driven by something different is my point. And the people who, who can get out there with their voices and their bodies and the signs and the chants, you know, right on. That's their wiring and that's their ethics. Um, but I wouldn't put down somebody who was, you know, an activist because I'm not. Nor should I feel that an activist should put me down for being um, behind the scenes. You know, I, I wouldn't say passive because I'm certainly not passive. Um, but people that are passive, that's fine, too. Everybody plugs in. It's where you come from. Be true to yourself. That's really the bottom line. You can't pretend to be someone you're not, or at least you can't pretend very long. Um, so embrace what you feel is true. And try to expand that truth on other levels. Listen to what other people have to say. Entertain it. Think it through. Discern it. Don't resist it. You may end up rejecting it. You may end up modifying it. You know, you may end up going to the other side, as they say. Um, But life is all about spiritual evolution. And I think ethics are sort of like that, too. Ethics should not be situational, and we find a lot of that, where people will set aside their ethics for this particular thing, thinking that that was so in that setting um, and we often learn the hard way that that's really not true um, you know I used to feel that everywhere I went for appearances and, and workshops and stuff that I would strictly go in there to support my fans and I've had some people say well you know why are you associating yourself with this particular group or that particular group and I never really saw it that way that that's what I was doing showing support um, for the you know, maybe people that ran the thing or the, you know, the guy behind the scenes or the ticket taker, you know, whatever it might have been. I thought I was going there strictly to uh, 
you know, be there for my fans and do workshops for people that are interested in, in my work and my message. But I've seen, you know, situations in which I look back on now and I realize that that did benefit people, you know, who weren't the best characters. And, um, you know, so is that situational ethics? Maybe if you knew it at the time, it would be, you know, where you thought it through and thought, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, well, there's always something more clever than yourself. True. But the key to that is the mindfulness, the mindful awareness around particular situations that occur that you felt one way about. Right. And then as a event um, has transpired or something, you know, uh, happened, that new information is given to you. And so now you're discerning, mm -hmm. um, again, that involvement, that situation, what was my part in that event. Um, I think one of the most important things of ethical living is being impeccable with your word. Right. Um, and that, I think that um, that's one of the things that I find lacking um, in in a lot of ways it, are people being impeccable with their word and that not being situational. Right. It's being authentic and standing up for what you believe in with a voice, not hiding behind something, not hiding behind someone, not um, counterfeiting things, um, not... Uh, being aggressive um, assertions and so forth and so on, but that you're able to, to stand your ground and, and, and be present. Um. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking the other day uh, when I was thinking about this uh, radio show, and I was remembering there was a book out years ago, and it was All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And there was a list of things, yep. and, and it was the basics. Yep. Don't hurt people. Yep. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't steal. That's right. You know, clean up your own mess. Uh, you know, I there's a, a a number of, of of other things, but they are these are the basics. Of, I mean, of ethics. You know, it is wrong to steal. Period. Um, there are situations in which people steal because they have no other choice. Um, but you have to have a marker. Otherwise, things morph into, you know, things change any minute of any given day, and that's chaos. Um, but ethically speaking, you know, when you do a spell, um, be mindful of its effects on the other person. Is it, is, it, is it justified? Is it ethical from where you're coming from? Um, you know, don't go out of your way to harm someone for harm's sake. Um, you know, when, when uh, countries go to war, you know, soldiers are sent out and they fight each other and, and they die. And that's all part of the declaration of war and, you know, the ethics of war. Then there are, there are things that are called war crimes. So the crime isn't just shooting each other, you know, but it's also you either only do this in war. You can't do that in war because that would be a war crime and, and shooting an enemy soldier is not a war crime. You know, so we, we play with these uh, ethics, you know. Uh, in our society, we say it is wrong to kill. We have laws against killing. And you have to go to trial if you kill somebody and prove that it's self-defense or whatever it might have been. So as a society, we say, you know, it's wrong to kill. And then we have stages of 
I don't want to say excusing that, but modifying our strongest positions on that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing with sending soldiers off to possibly die in a war. Killing is wrong in our society, but yet we send people to kill people. Well, um, and I think that comes back around, too, again, to what's happening with North Korea and the United States, that the, they both feel that their message is out of necessity to protect the individuals, but neither one of them is really listening. Right. Because they're hunkered down in their whatever. Yeah, and I think that there's an ethics in their mind that's somehow wired to the Absolutely. It is bizarre that ethical code might be, but, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, to me, when I look at spell magic, like, for example, I, I the earlier example I gave of uh, trying to get a job, to me, and again, my personal opinion, to me, doing a spell to get a job is fine. You know, putting a little juju on your resume, um, that just to get it a second look so it doesn't right. just get shuffled through. You right. know, I think that that's completely ethical. But I would personally consider unethical in that scenario would be to add to the spell that everyone else's resume is rejected and only yours is accepted. To me, that would be unethical because you're going that extra measure to push people out of the way that may have had the right to have that job. And uh, But, you you know, you decided in your own moment that, no, it's just going to be you no matter what, then I think we're, we're dealing with some ethical issues. Well, and I think along those lines, too, as you, as you said in the beginning of the show, that you and I will go to the extent of trying to work things out on a physical level in this dimension right. before resorting to us doing magical right. metaphysical acts. Um, that, that, that's exactly it. That what, what are you bringing to the table? Mm -hmm. Make that shine. This is, you know your interview shines because you're, you know, you have passion about it. You, you know, you're capable. And so you project that. And right. then, like you said, you get your, your um, resume to be looked at another time. You get a second interview, you know, you, you create opportunity to present something versus right. just to eradicating. To, to get them to see you and the real you. And I think that that's fine. Um, but to push everybody out of the way and only have you surface them. Yeah. I want to talk about something else. No, okay. I want so, you to wrap it up. No, I'm, I'm actually uh, wrapped up. Um, so we're coming to the end of the show, and Stephanie's got some stuff she'd like well, to Well, one thing I would like to say is like, if you have any questions or you want to make any commentary about anything we've talked about, feel free to write to Raven on his uh, Facebook page. It's a great uh, forum to be able to continue discussion um, about topics that, that you know are near and dear to our heart, and um, that's a good, a good forum for it. Um, I just wanted to mention before the end of the show that if uh, you're interested in, in, in following us and want to know what we're up to, where we're going, uh, what we have to say, um, thehouseofgramasi.com is a great website to check that out. I haven't kept it updated the last two months because of our situation, but I'm getting back on track with that, and I'll be posting current things on there. For instance, on our events page, everything is current on there. Um, also, you, there's links to ravensloft.biz uh, on there for your shopping convenience. And also, um, I'm going to be adding our courses of study. The courses of study you can also find on ravensloft.biz 
there's we have I think four or five of them, and they're, in my opinion, all excellent, all beginning and um, intermediate uh, um, courses, and um, check them out. If again, if you have any questions about that, just write to us and let us know, um, and we'd be happy to assist you in any way we can. So again, giving a big shout out to all of you out there who continue to support um, our passion for the old ways and keeping the flame alive. Your support, your uplifting, your voices. Um, I'm showing my gratitude. Love you all. You are the wind beneath our wings. You are the wind beneath our wing, our our knees, <laughs> our wing. Thank you so much for joining us. Blessed be. And We're back on the 20th again. Back on the 20th. Yes. Join us for more discussions on Seasons of the Witch. With Raven and Stephanie Gramasi. Be well. Take care. Blessed be. Peace out. suffer from chronic CFED or can't focus energy drain? Try over-the-counter Vibrin. One tablet contains the same caffeine as a cup of coffee, but without the calories or coffee breath. Vibrin. Caffeine, not coffee. Taking Vibrin may result in increased productivity and decreased dread in setting alarms. Unexpected enjoyment of the graveyard shift has been associated with Vibrin. Vibrin may be a better budget option than drinking coffee. It may also decrease the urge to doze off, skip work, or exhibit signs of slacking. All jokes aside, always read the label, take only as directed, and limit caffeine as it may cause real side effects. Not for children under age 12. Do you suffer from chronic CFED or can't focus energy drain? Try over-the-counter Vibrin. One tablet contains the same caffeine as a cup of coffee, but without the calories or coffee breath. Vibrin. Caffeine, not coffee. Taking Vibrin may result in increased productivity and decreased dread in setting alarms. Unexpected enjoyment of the graveyard shift has been associated with Vibrin. Vibrin may be a better budget option than drinking coffee. It may also decrease the urge to doze off, skip work, or exhibit signs of slacking. All jokes aside, always read the label, take only as directed, and limit caffeine as it may cause real side effects. Not for children under age 12.